You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. All right, who has not seen The Pursuit of Happiness? Anybody not see that movie? It's a great movie. Um, the way it ends, it's, I'll just tell you because you haven't seen it. The way it ends is uh, <coughs> everything, it, it, my, my daughter would say it's like all unhappiness and there's like the last five minutes of happiness in the movie, which is probably pretty true, but um, <coughs> welcome to church. Aren't you glad to be at church? God is good. God is faithful. He's given us beautiful weather. It's like snows and then it's sunshine on the same day. People come to Colorado to vacation. You realize that, right? People come to Colorado to vacation. You live in a beautiful place. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them you look good. And tell them God loves you. Tell them you smell good. Can you tell them you smell good? (laughs) Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. Thank you, God. I'm I'm humbled, Lord, that you're just so good. Um, And God, we're not here just to go through the motions of church. I recognize that you were here, and I sense your presence already. And you know, Lord, I've been praying this whole morning that you anoint this message in a special way. We want more of your Holy Spirit. We want more of your presence. So minister here, God, to the person who doesn't come to church much and the person who comes every week, sinner and saint. We all need your grace, God. I pray that every soul has an encounter with you. You know what every soul is going through right now in their weekends and work weeks. You know what the challenges are, and I pray, God, that you just touch every heart. You provide clarity and purpose and joy. So do your thing, Holy Spirit, and move me aside and use me, I pray, in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. It's good to be at church. So um, it's in our Declaration of Independence. We as Americans are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and what the pursuit of, with an I, not a Y. That's what that is. Um, What does that mean? I mean, do you want to be happy? I think everybody wants to be happy. I think everybody has a desire to be happy. I think uh, our our human nature, we are pleasure seekers. Uh, We are naturally attracted to the things that generate this emotion called happiness, um, incidentally, last week we talked about money, and if you weren't here, please listen to that podcast. It's a, a great message, and it helps us to be a stronger, stronger church. So appreciate you taking time to do that. Uh, before we talk about uh, this idea of God wants us to be happy and, and what the world says and, and what the Bible says, what God says, um, I, I thought because Valentine's Day weekend was on Friday, everybody, anybody go out on Valentine's weekend? Grace and I went to Texas Roadhouse, and then we parked at an elementary school, and, and no, I'm just kidding. And, but, <laughs> you guys, are you awake yet? Is everybody up here? So I thought, I'm going to help you out. I want to give you some Valentine's weekend pickup lines, because I feel like you may need these pickup lines in certain situations, maybe with your woman, or maybe you're trying to get a woman, or you're trying to get a guy. So don't ever say you didn't come to church and learn how to pick up someone. So here it is. Um, First pickup line is this. Uh, are Are you sure you're not tired? You've been running through my mind all day. No? Yeah. Ladies, you, you, you judge it, ladies. Tell me if it would work on you. Just shout out boo if it doesn't work for you. I shared this one with my son in Nashville. 
And uh, I'll just tell you what he said. Uh, This is it. Are you from Tennessee? Because you're the only 10 I see. (laughs) Ladies, will that that get over the net? They're rough. My my son said the same thing. He said, Dad, that's old. Uh, How about like this one? Extending a hand out like this. Would you hold this for me while I go for a walk? Is that good? I'm going to try that one on Grace. Uh, <clears throat> um, oh, here's this one. I thought since we're at church, we'll give you a biblical one because then it's God honoring here. Now, I know why Solomon had 700 wives. Uh, no, let me say it. Now, I know why Solomon had 700 wives because he never met you. <laughs> I feel like God's telling me that you should go on a date with me. Well, that's the end, because anytime you say, I feel like God is telling me, the conversation ends, right? It goes to any topic, anytime somebody says that. And this is what someone said. This isn't necessarily a pickup line. He said, on first dates, I always take girls to get barbecue ribs. It feels the most biblical considering they came from one. You know, when God created a woman, he took the rib out of a man. In my early days of marriage, I would introduce grace to people as my rib, and um, she did not appreciate that. <laughs> she gave me that look that women give. You know what look I'm talking about, women? You all go to the same school to get that, you know, learn that look. I know you do. And I thought just two more fun things. This is a hashtag why I'm single. So if you're single, you know, you should listen to this one here. Um, someone said, one time I told a girl she was beautiful, and after she responded with thank you, I said, yeah, I've been watching you a lot. <laughs> That's called a creeper. <laughs> this one, the last one here, guys. Isn't it fun to laugh at church? I thought it was so appropriate since we're talking about joy and happiness to help you out a little bit. Uh, when I had a boyfriend, I brought him home over to meet my parents, and my dad pretended to rob us to see if he would protect me. <laughs> I could see myself doing something like that with Hannah. God have mercy on Hannah's future boyfriends and... Uh, Pharrell Williams wrote a pretty popular psalm, and the lyrics say, Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Just a fun song, seeing people dance. Um, The word happy or happiness, uh, we say it a lot. And there are certain phrases that we say it with. It's kind of like love. We use the word love quite a bit. And the Bible talks a lot about love. And same thing with happiness. But we say something like, and, and, and you guys can finish this for me, happy wife, happy wife. See, you know it. I deserve to be happy. Whatever makes you... No, how many times have we said that? Uh, don't worry, be... No, you know that one. I'm happy as a... That's just really weird, isn't it? Like clams have emotions. I don't know. Uh, Albert Schweitzer said, happiness is nothing more than good health and a bad memory. And I think there might be some truth to that. Here's one definition of happy. Feeling pleasure and enjoyment because of your life, situation, etc. Pleased or glad about a particular situation, event. I think dogs can produce happiness. I know, I know with my family, um, most of my family likes dogs. Um, <coughs> I, I like dog, but my dog, anyway. Um, the research has shown this. Uh, this is, it comes from psychology today. Someone who experiences frequent positive emotions, such as joy, interest, and pride, and infrequent, though not absent, negative emotions, such as sadness, anxiety, and anger, 
So it is an emotion, and it's important for us to understand this. Aristotle, he said this, happiness is the meaning and purpose of life, the aim and end of human existence. So <clears throat> I want to just say this again. What, what do you think about this title? God wants you happy. Doesn't that just feel good? If I said God doesn't want you happy, that would not feel good. You wouldn't like that at all, but that God wants you happy. Let me share with you our theology, our world theology, what the world says about happiness, because happiness is an emotion. So here's our world theology. Whatever makes you happy must be right. Think about that for a little bit. Whatever makes you happy must be right. And if you follow along then with this theology, and it's rooted to our feelings and emotions, well, as humans, we go up and down, don't we? Our emotions and our feelings, and we just kind of go all over the place, and that's just part of being human. And, and if it's rooted to our happiness and how we, feelings, how we feel, then that could be a problem. If it feels good, you do it. If you follow this theology, if it makes you feel happy, you do it. But the other side of this coin is just as dangerous. It also means if there's discomfort, you don't do it. If there's inconvenience, you don't do it. If there's sacrifice, you don't do it. If there's suffering involved, you don't do it. So this theology of whatever makes you happy must be right isn't true. It doesn't apply. Now, the problem is this. When you don't know what God has to say about love and life and purpose and joy and happiness, if you don't know what God has to say, what you do is you take your world theology, and it comes from how you were raised and your personal experiences, and you think, well, if, if, it must be right if it generates happiness, and you overlay it on God's word, and you, that becomes your, your rationale. That, that's how you live, and you, and you learn to live like that, and that's when it becomes a problem, because typically your own custom theology is based on your self-interests. It's typically based on what you want, what you like, and your preferences. It's based on what pleases you. That's the human nature. That's called our flesh. That's what it is. One of the most popular verses in the Bible that's quoted in, uh, in Psalms is chapter 37, uh, verse 4. And I want to read it out loud here um, just because it's a great verse, but, but we, we take it out of context and we twist it quite a bit. But let's read it out loud. Take delight in the Lord and he desires of your heart. Isn't that a great word? So you have the first part, take delight in in the Lord. And the second part says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, between number one and number two, where do your eyes go to first? Which part do you like best, the first or the second? Second. Most of us would say the second. It's kind of like he's our Santa Claus. He's going to give me the desires of my heart. And I like that. I like that a lot. I want that car. I want that experience. I want that vacation. I want, the, I want that job. I want that money. I want that. Whatever it is, we can go on and on and on and on. And, and it's true. Your God knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head, and he knows who you are, and he loves you. And he knows, I'll just tell you this, he knows the desires of your heart better than you do. He knows the desires of your heart better than you do. Sometimes we have shallow desires. Sometimes we have short-sighted desires. But God knows the deep soul desires. He knows that. The first part says, take delight in the Lord. 
Take delight in the Lord. You know that word delight in Hebrew, it literally means find enjoyment in God. Find enjoyment in God. There's this idea that God wants you to fall in love with him. There is this idea that God wants you to just go on a walk and talk to him. There's this idea that in the morning when you wake up, he wants you to spend time in his love letter for you, and he wants you to know his heart. He wants you to know his grace and his love and his mercy. He wants to touch the deep souls of your heart. And it's really an invitation, this invitation that says, find enjoyment in God. There's no greater enjoyment. There's no greater delight. And you could insert the word then. Take delight in the Lord then. He will give you the desires of your heart. It's a beautiful thing that happens. And, you know, when, when, you, when you come to know Jesus, you realize you didn't need anyone else. When you really come to know God, you realize he's your all in all, and he's there, your, he encompasses everything, and, and you realize how good he is and how merciful he is, and, and all of a sudden, he just makes your heart beat fast, and, and you, can go without, well, you, can go without, you can go without this or that or this, but you can't go without your, your Lord. You can't go without your, your God. He changes everything. Take delight in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. And then, well, the crazy thing what happens when you find your enjoyment in God, guess what happens? His will becomes your will. His desires become your desires. And the things that make his heart beat fast make your heart beat fast. And all of a sudden, there's this beautiful spiritual chemistry thing, this oneness that happens, this unity that happens between you and your God. And God, God, God speaks to you in a loving, loving way. And, and all of a sudden, there's nothing that gives you more joy than following in steps of your Savior. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will do that. So what happens when you surrender to God, when, you, when you're obedient to God and you're faithful to God? <clears throat> That's what happens. I was talking to someone last night who went to a men's retreat. We had men's retreat, if you're just joining us, a couple of weeks ago, and we spent two and a half days in the mountains, close to 65, 70 guys. And um, one of the guys, he'd never went to a men's retreat before, and he said, you know what, you know what, Pastor? He said, I've never gone to church so many times in two days. We went to chapel three times. That's what he told me. And he said, I'll just tell you, walls came down in my life. Some of you men know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he said, walls came down in my life. He said, I had walls of pride and anger and jealousy and all kinds of stuff inside of my heart. And at first I was wondering, gosh, well, I'm not going to, I don't know these guys that well, but all of a sudden these walls started coming down. And he was at church last night and he says, now I just feel clean. That's the word he's, I just feel different. I feel so different now. That's what God does. And now he's experiencing a joy that he could never experience at the, at the bottom of a bottle or with sex or anything else. He's experiencing something that God offers, and it's touching his soul. And he's saying, you know what? All these problems I'm facing in life don't seem nearly as big. God is so faithful. As long as he's with me, I'm okay. I don't need to know everything. As long as he's with me, I have a confidence that he's with me and I'm okay. So cool, you know, at Men's Retreat, just seeing those kinds of uh, joy moments. I'm thinking of um, guys playing board games till one in the morning, playing phase 10. Doesn't sound real manly, but I'll tell you what, it was a great fun time. 
and seeing guys, they were playing a whole other board game. I didn't even know what it was, but they were just having fun and laughing at each other. Just there's, there's something beautiful about being with God's people when we turn to the Lord and laughing together. I love hearing laughter at Thorn Creek Church. Laughter is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Joy is a beautiful thing. C.S. Lewis said this, the happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. Isn't that beautiful? The unity that you have in Christ, in his spirit, is so much greater compared to the most rapturous love relationship between a man and a woman. It's like milk and water. It's beautiful. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Other words, use the word abide. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Remember, this word remain is there, but the condition is if you keep my commands. It pleases God when you live a life of obedience to him. In verse 11, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Mm. And that your joy may be, what church? Complete. Well, the other side of that says that you could have incomplete joy or incomplete happiness. But there's a joy that comes from your relationship with God that God wants you to experience that no man or no woman could generate. A joy that comes that's so different from the joy or happiness that you get in this world. thought it'd be good for us to cover five things. Uh, uh, don't do these five things if you want to be happy. Let's put it that way. If you want to be happy, don't do these five things. Here's number one. Don't compare your life to anyone on social media. Have you done that before? Pastors can do the same thing. You look at another pastor and you look at the size of their church or whatever it is, and you're like, well, what's, why can't, you know, pastors can fall into that trap as well. We could all fall into that trap when we look at someone. I like what Stephen Furtick said. He said, the reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. That's so true. So true. <clears throat> Our guest speaker, um, um, I've known him for a very, very long time, probably close to 30 years now, but um, I walked into his room over there at Men's Retreat, and it just so happened his wife was on the phone. They were FaceTiming with each other, and she was on the phone talking to him, and he had the phone on the bed, and I, I, I walked in. I said, hey, Ed. He goes, hey, say hello to, say hello to Lori. And you can imagine her appreciating this. So I walk up to the phone and I say, hey, Lori. And, and she wasn't wearing any makeup. And uh, immediately I saw her whole face change, as you can imagine. And, and she says, oh, hi, Pastor Ruben. You're looking at the unvarnished you know, version of me. I mean, she was so self-conscious. But that's how we think. That's how we are. We manage ourselves in our image. Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. If you, it's, it's just, it's just a, it'll rob your joy if you start comparing yourself. Uh, just a few other things. Don't isolate yourself. Don't do that. Don't hang out with negative people. Don't try to control everyone around you. 
If you're a control freak, you're going to be unhappy a lot because it's never going to be perfect enough for you. It's never going to be just right. So you'll never enjoy what God has done and what God has given you. Some of you, you have a, you have a, a beautiful house and, and it doesn't matter what the square footage is and you just can't enjoy it because it's never clean enough. Just enjoy it. Praise the Lord for dirty dishes. That means God is providing. Praise the Lord. Just enjoy what God has given you. Praise the Lord for a loud house. It means people are there. Praise the Lord for that. And don't overlook the goodness of God. Do you recognize the goodness of God in your life? I, I told Grace the other day, I feel like we're living in a vacation. I just feel, and it's not just because of God's goodness. We have an amazing, amazing, amazing church and such good people, and God is so good. He's so good. And, and when you recognize the goodness of God, you walk around with a joy inside of you. It's just in you because you just know he's so good. He's so good. There's a story I want to share with you. It's out of Psalm chapter 32. Um, Psalm chapter 32 is a chapter, you could say, involving feelings and emotions. That's what Psalm 32 is. And it's really related to a famous sin from King David. King David sinned with this woman. Remember her name? Bathsheba. He saw her you know, outside, and she was in the nude, and she was taking a bath or whatever it was, and he invited her to her palace, and the Scripture says when kings go to war, he stayed behind. He ended up having sex with her, and she had another man named Uriah, and, and, and he just you know, took advantage of the situation. And, and you know, it was a full one year for him to confess his sin to the Lord. And eventually, there was this prophet that confronted him. Do you remember his name? Nathan. Nathan confronted him. Nathan confronted, confronted David and said, what you did was wrong. So in Psalm chapter 51, you read about David's confessional prayer. Um, if and when you do sin, a great chapter to read is Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 is an eloquent prayer of, of uh, brokenness, and, and confession. It's beautiful, beautiful prayer. I always, always tell people, if you want to improve your prayer life, read the book of Psalms. If you want to improve your relationship with people, read one chapter of Proverbs every day. But in the book of Psalms, chapter 51, that's his prayer of confession. So if you're ridden by guilt or shame and you just know you've sinned before God, read Psalm chapter 51. So he prays this beautiful prayer in Psalm chapter 51. And then in Psalm chapter 32, he talks about the results of that prayer. So here's what he says. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to read the, the New Living Version, New Living Translation version first. First verses, first two verses, he says this. Remember, he prayed Psalm 51. So now he's feeling something inside. He's describing his emotion. And he says this in verse 1. It says, Oh, what, what does it say? Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. And then verse 2, he says, Yes, what what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. I want to go back to verse 1 there in the New Living. It says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, those, for those whose sin is put out of sight. There is joy 
in experiencing the forgiveness of your sins. There is joy in that. And David is saying, oh, what joy there is in my disobedience being forgiven. What joy. He's like, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait for one full year? Why did I let pride get in the way? Why didn't I humble myself sooner? Oh, what joy. He's talking about something inside of him that has been cleansed. He's experienced the forgiveness of sins. And he's saying, oh, what joy. And even more than the forgiving of sins, it's put out of sight. God has the ability to put your sins out of sight and bury them in the deepest ocean. And scripture says, remember no more. God has that ability. We don't have that ability. We remember stuff, but God has the ability to forgive and to literally forget and remember no more. Aren't you glad we have a God who wants to put our sins far from us? He doesn't want to hold it to us. You know, some people, some people, when they forgive, they don't really forgive an argument happens again, and you know what they do? They pull that old sin out of their back pocket and say, hey, remember when you did this? That's not cool. Because there's already guilt and shame associated with that, so don't do that. That's not a loving thing. In verse 2, he said, oh, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are, completely, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. That's integrity. That's living before God. Oh, what joy for those who live that way. Oh, what joy. If you're a person who habitually lies and you've just learned to lie, I want you to know there's another side to life you can live that's way better. You don't have to remember your last lie anymore. There is joy in living a life of spiritual integrity before God. In another version, in the NASB, same verses, different version. Verse 1 says this, How blessed doesn't use the word joy. It uses the word blessed. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered? How blessed. Do you want to live a blessed life? That's what it is. He inter interchanges joy and blessed. In verse 2, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, or woman, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. How blessed. The, the, the message, uh, Eugene Peterson version, uh, chapter 32, verse 1, he says this, Count yourself lucky how happy you must be. You get a fresh start, your slate's white clean. Glory to God. That's a good news. Your slate's wiped clean. So joy, blessed, happy. Many times they're interchanged. Many times. I want you to hear this. There is a deep-rooted soul happiness that is not contingent on your circumstances. Now, there's things that will generate happiness in this world. A big paycheck, a great sale, a good deal, your favorite football team winning or whatever it is. I mean, I get that. There's, that's, there's happiness there, and there, there's just excitement there. But there is a deep-rooted joy that deep down to the soul, touches your soul that comes from God. It comes from obedience to God. It comes from repenting your sins. It comes from choosing to live a life of integrity before God. There is a joy that is offered with that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, what is happiness and unhappiness? It depends so little on the circumstances. It depends really on only on what happens inside a person. 
I am grateful for every day, and, and that makes me happy. Grateful for every day. One of the guys I was playing football, football with, we were at Men's Retreat, we played football, and we did a bunch of stuff. But you'd be surprised how much joy and happiness there is when, when, when people worship God and they come together, they just laugh at silly things. It, there's a lightheartedness about life. You know what I'm talking about? Where there's not a heavy heart, it's a light heart, and you laugh at silly things. When one of the days we were playing football and Cody was on that side and I was playing on the line, and we were playing like in, I don't know, eight inches, a foot of snow, something like that, and every time he had the ball and he was about to hike, I would cover the ball up with a lot of snow. I would throw snow all over, because by the time the quarterback would get it, it would be all, all slippery. You're welcome, Joe. And it would be all slippery. So I would keep throwing snow on the ball, and he would move it away from me, and I would throw it behind him, and he was just... And one of the times he, 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 he wanted a, uh, Josiah was quarterbacking, that's right, and, 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 they, and, and he tells Cody, come on over here, let's huddle, just leave the ball there. And he's about to put the ball on the ground in the snow, and I'm standing right here, and he looks at me, and all I do is this. <laughs> I just smile at him, and then immediately he picks up the ball, and he shakes his head, and he takes it with, he actually draws it in the snow, he puts a line in the snow to show where the ball was, and of course he walked away, well I just covered that line up like that, and I moved the line over here, and I made a new line over here, and then he turns around, and he's going to put the ball where the new line is, I couldn't let him do it, I said it's over here brother, but there's this joy in life that's beautiful, when you just laugh at the small stuff because of what God has done inside of you and taking care of the big stuff. Proverbs says this, even in laughter, the heart may ache. It's possible to go to church and worship songs, but have a heavy heart, have a broken heart, isn't it? It's possible to be at church, but not be at church. It's possible to be present with a whole bunch of people, but feel lonely because the heart's broken. But God can touch that heart. God can take care of you. God can heal you. God can restore you. Let him do it. There is a difference between the happiness this world offers and the happiness that God offers. When you look at Moses, you see him. Hebrews says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So there was a point in Moses' life when he said, I'm going to live for God. And he could have lived this facade. He could have lived in the palace. Do you think he would have been happier in the palace? Wouldn't you have been happier in the palace? I just envision him eating grapes because I think that's what people in palaces eat. I don't know. <laughs> but I could just envision the life that he had. Gold and women and, and authority and position and riches. And, and he could have had that. But instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to be with my people, the Israelites, in their time of suffering, I'd rather be with them than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The fleeting pleasures of sin. And that's what sin is. It's a temptation because of those pleasures. Without the pleasure, sin wouldn't be a temptation at all, would it? But because of the pleasure in sin, that's why we're tempted to it. But on the, you, you discover very quickly that that pleasure does not last. And eventually, at the end of that pleasure, there's some shame and guilt initially, unless you do it enough, and then eventually it doesn't bother you anymore. But there's, there's shame and guilt on the other side of that pleasure. He chose to be mistreated with God's people than to be happy in a palace. It's a powerful passage. C.S. Lewis said this, we are half-hearted creatures. 
fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that great? We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. We choose to engage in that. We choose to engage in it. But we are far too easily pleased when God wants to offer you something that no one else and nothing else can offer you. We're far too easily pleased. Let me give you a warning. Here's the warning. We can use the feeling of happiness to justify our spiritual decisions. We can use that feeling of happiness to justify our spiritual decisions. Here's how we misuse happiness. And maybe you've heard this, or maybe you've said this, maybe you've heard someone say this, but here's how we use it. Maybe you're in a relationship or someone's going into a relationship or going into a lifestyle or wants to do something. And, and you know what they say? This person makes me happy. Mom, dad, this makes me happy. I know I shouldn't, but I'm happy. I know I shouldn't, but I'm happy. I know I shouldn't be living, but I'm happy. And then here's the mic drop right here. The next statement is this. Can't you just be happy for me? You know what, the, do, you do you see what's happening? Do you see how it's being twisted? It's being twisted around. It's saying this emotion of happiness is greater than the mandate to live right before God. That's what's happening here. And now it's personal when it's said, can't you just be happy for me? Because we get all twisted up because we love that child or we love that brother or we love that friend or whatever it is. And it gets all twisted up inside of us. And we're like, well, I love you. Yeah, I love you. You know what? I'm just happy that you're happy. And that's what we say. And then we say something like, whatever makes you happy. Or as long as you're happy, I'm happy. That's not being a godly example. That's not being a godly leader. <clears throat> Hear this. When we elevate our personal feeling of happiness above the personal blessing that comes from obedience to God, then it's counterfeit joy. Don't convince yourself that God is okay with disobedience in your life just because you are happy. God has something better. God has something better. That life, that relationship, that decision, whatever it is, it will generate some happiness, absolutely, but it's nothing compared to the joy that God offers. It's nothing. We convince ourselves being happy is not contingent on obedience to God, but it's possible to be happy and not be blessed. It's possible to be happy and not be blessed. <clears throat> Don't you think there's happiness in different places? You know, there's happiness in the bar, but it's temporary. Psalm chapter 30 says this, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. That's only God can do that. Only God can do that. 
God has the ability to go down and touch your soul and give you a new, a new joy that you didn't have before. A new joy. I remember when I, many years ago, when I, I took my, my sabbatical, the church had grown to like 600 or so, and I was just tired, and I put 7,100 miles on my car with Grace, Josiah, and Hannah, and I just needed to see God move. You know, I didn't need another leadership book. I didn't need another book. I didn't need a conference binder. I just needed to see God move. And I remember I was in a Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I was traveling. We went all the way to Brooklyn, New York, but in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I remember seeing that pastor there. He and I were talking, and, and, um, and they were promoting a new ministry. It was, like a, it was like a DJ kind of ministry. So they had a record that they were, they were, they were scratching, and, and people were just laughing, and they were dancing. They were like breakdancing, and, and if you're not from the 80s, I'll tell you what that is later. But anyway, they, they were just doing all kinds of just dancing. They were just having fun. And I remember I was watching, and this other guy there from, from, from People's Church was there too, and, and, and I was just watching them, and I laughed out loud. And when I remember when I laughed out loud, I thought, oh, that felt good. I haven't laughed like that in a long time. You ever done that before? You ever experienced that? You're like, I haven't laughed like that in a long time. And God just revealed to me something, that I was doing ministry with a broken spirit. I was doing ministry with a broken heart. You know, it's possible to do life every day with a crushed, broken spirit. And it's so gradual, you don't even realize that joy has been robbed from you. And God is able, God is able to, to take your mourning and turn it into joyful dancing and take away your clothes of mourning and clothe you with joy. And now I can dance at stupid stuff. And I'm a horrible dancer, but I have a joy inside of me that God needed to touch me. I needed to turn to God. I needed to say, God, help me, Lord. I, I, this, this is, help me inside. Help me inside. Because you, can be you can go on a vacation, but you can't take a vacation from your heart. And when you've got a broken, crushed spirit, and you're just doing vacation, and you wake up, you go to sleep with it, and you wake up with it, and you go to work with it, it's just part of you. God wants to touch you. God wants to give you a new joy, a new joy. In fact, Romans chapter 15 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's what God can do. That's what God can do. And Nehemiah says this, Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that good? There's a whole song written about that one. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Whew. Spend time reading God's word every day. Spend time. The joy of the Lord. The joy that God offers you comes from you turning to him with all of your heart, surrendering yourself to him, letting him go deep in you, choosing to live a life of obedience, choosing to, to live and follow his ways and live like that every day. There is joy in walking with God, in delighting in him, in finding joy in him. There is an incredible life that's offered to you that has nothing to do with external circumstances. It's a life that's better. So anytime you're faced with a decision, you choose God's will, you choose God's path because everything else are fleeting pleasures and you choose God's way. I want to do something here. Um, <clears throat> last night I preached this message and I know people responded in beautiful ways, but I just have a sense that someone's here and maybe has a broken and crushed spirit. 
maybe a broken heart, and you're going through the motions, and you're here, and God has brought you here because he has this message for you. He wants you to fill you with joy. He wants to touch your heart. He wants to take your, your, exchange your clothes from mourning to dancing. He wants you to live this new life in him. So if you need joy today, I want to invite you to turn to God with all of your heart. Can you do that? If you need joy, God wants you to live that life. David didn't for one full year. One full year after the sin, he didn't do it. And eventually he turns to God and he's read it in Psalm chapter 51. But in Psalm chapter 32, he says, Oh, what joy. Oh, what joy. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Oh, Lord, we worship you. And if you're here right now and Maybe your first step is to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you just say this? Say, Jesus, I turn to you with all of my heart. I ask you to forgive me for my sins, just like David did. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I turn away from them. I repent of them. I want to get right with you, God. So right now, I ask you to fill my heart, and I believe with my heart, and I confess with my mouth that, Jesus, you are Lord. I choose to become a Christian. Thank you, Lord. Others of you might need to say this prayer. God, this morning, I want to know your joy. Go deep this morning. Heal my broken heart. Heal my wounded and crushed spirit. Touch me. Restore me. Renew me. I know you're the God who can breathe life into a bunch of dried up old bones. I know you're the God who can create a river in a desert. Do that inside of me and fill me with your joy. I choose to live a blessed life. I choose to live a life of obedience. I choose to live a life of spiritual integrity before you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.